DAB Plus online via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Welcome to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. And after promotion to the championship from League One, Ipswich are top of the table with three wins from three. We finished last season really well. Um, but we know how hard we're having to work um, each week and each day in training and we know how hard the step is, so we're, we're going to stay humble about that. Leicester City also remain unbeaten after new signing Cesare Casade makes his mark late on. It's Leicester 2, Cardiff 1, Cesare Casade. The loney from Chelsea on a sub, on debut, has smashed home from close range. The place has gone wild. And you'll hear exclusively from the MK Dons manager, Graham Alexander, as his side look to bounce back into League One. We want to be um, trying to win every single game we compete for. We know that's not going to be the reality, but we have to have the will and the desire and the, the ambition to do that. And, uh, and we see where we are at the end of the season. We'll also reflect on that crazy 10-goal thriller involving Wrexham and Swindon with goalkeeper Ben Foster deciding to retire after that game. There's a lot for myself and David Priest to get through over the next hour. This is EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. I am Hugh Wizencroft. Been another busy week in the EFL. To help me dissect it all is the former Lincoln and Barnsley keeper and the former Sunderland goalkeeping coach, David Priest. David, how are you? I'm very well, Hugh. Thanks for having me on. No, no, thank you so much for joining us. And it's turning out this way each and every week when we we start the programme by discussing the championship. I'm trying my best not to focus on the sides that have come down, but they seem to keep scoring, either keep scoring late winners or continue to not win. And so it becomes a bigger story, if you like. So let's dive straight into it with Leicester City, who again left it late, this time to beat Cardiff by two goals to one. Cesare Cattaday on loan from Chelsea, scoring the winner for the Foxes. Um, what have you noticed so far about Leicester City? I think they're one of those clubs that are going to have quite an important end to the window in terms of the possibility of losing players. But so far, unbeaten. Um, is there a hallmark that stands out or any difference under Enzo Mareska that you've noticed from last term? Well, I think it's more of a, an extension of what the work that, uh, that, that Brendan was doing before um, before Dean Smith came into, into the club. It, Dean Dean's sort of Dean Smith's sort of philosophy and the way that he was playing, it was a it was kind of like a I don't know it was a gamble to try and keep him up. Of course it was, but like I say, if you want to play a certain way and carry on the good work that Brendan was doing, then they have to uh, put something like Moreska in. And like I said, it, it's a similar kind of football. He wants to play the 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 Pep Guardiola way. Of course, there's going to be lots of comparisons because of the relationship he's had with him in the past. But for me, it, it is about. Uh, attacking football and and it's shown that like again by the the end of the game the the way that they just went for the win they know they have to keep winning if they're going to get back up in the premier league and the desperation to do that and being really attacking even in those final stages of the game it's a real hallmark of, of the way that he wants to play are they your favorites in terms of who might be winning the title this year listen when, when you're still able to bring people like harry winks to the club they brought Callum Doyle, who's a really, really big prospect. I worked with him mm. at Sunderland. Um, he's still, still a teenager. So much experience already at that age. Sort of 70, 80 games at League One and, and Championship level. They're bringing real quality into the club. And I think that all of the, the teams that have come down, it's really about, um, of course, they're going to lose a lot of players. Every side, um, Leeds and Southampton as well. And it's about how you manage that transition. And I think that's going to be the most important part of this season for all those clubs is how they manage that transition. And Leicester and Southampton are just seem to be doing it better than the Leeds. Cardiff this weekend probably scored the goal of the weekend for many fans. Um, despite their defeat, Aaron Ramsey rolling back the years um, with an unbelievable strike, my favourite of the weekend. Uh, and especially as it seemed to mean so much to him as well, his first goal back at at Cardiff City in the Championship. Um, do, you, do you think he'll end up being more than a romantic signing for the Bluebirds? Can he really contribute? Yeah, I think when you make these signings, you, you have to balance it up. It's, it's not too much, done too much with the heart and more with the head as well. And you've got to look at the personality and the character of the players that are coming back. They're not just coming back... Um, not just not just to make up the numbers, but sort of to not make as much of an impact as they would maybe ten years ago. But certainly the character of Aaron Ramsey, you've seen it so far, um, and, and with that goal, such a clean strike, wasn't it? 
coming mm. inside onto his right foot, clean, dipping just below the bar, no chance for the goalkeeper. Um, and yeah, it, it looks from all intents and purposes at the, at the, at the moment, he can have a real big impact on that club again. Let's move on then to another one of the sides um, relegated from the Premier League. Positive weekend for Leicester, but but Southampton needed a positive result as well, and they left it late to beat uh, Plymouth Argyle this weekend. Lots of people wondering how convincing Southampton are right now. Um, we know there's been players, of course, leaving the club. James Ward-Prowse, Romeo Lavia. Looks like Che Adams could be next. He scored the winner this weekend, likely to be on his way to Everton. You know, in terms of us really being convinced by them, do we need to see who they are once the transfer window is over and Russell Martin gets time to to work with the players he's certain are going to be at the club? Yeah, exactly that. You know, we just spoke about the, the transitional period where there, there's going to still ins and outs. That, and to be honest, it, it's going to happen at every club when the, the window is so late into the season. Um, you're going to have that sort of insecurity about what your team's going to look like in the coming months. But I think to see how they're going to go forward, you have to look at the past. You have to look at where uh, Russell Martin's been before, the work that he's done before. Um, the only problem with this time is that time is of the essence. He has to get his his thoughts and his, his philosophy pinned down really quickly to make an impact, to get back into that Premier League. That's what it's all about for these for these clubs that have come down. And they don't want to stay too long in the, in the Championship. But you look at his sides, they kill teams with possession. And <clears throat> football's a game of 90 minutes, 90 plus minutes now. And if you're going to win games, it doesn't matter whether you win them in the first or the last minute of extra time or injury time. And that's what they'll do. They'll try and suffocate teams with the ball. And hopefully that the quality that they still have at the club makes that difference. I want to come back to late goals uh, in a few moments' time. But let's hear from Russell Martin, the Southampton boss. With another two weeks of the transfer window still to go, rumours consistently linking his players with moves away. Here's what he's had to say about the topic. Well, I hope the work speaks for that. How they get treated is hopefully how they feel about what they're doing. Like, it's not literally sitting them down and forcing them to, to stay. But hopefully how they feel about what we're doing, it helps winning... But we have to also expect that probably a couple will still go to the Premier League or maybe elsewhere. Um, but we just have to be ready for that. And we'll be stronger and better and in two weeks' time when the window shuts, for sure. Stronger and better when the window shuts. Well, not if you lose all your best players and you can't replace them. So it's going to be a pretty key period for Russell Martin. Um, the club have had a plan, haven't they, David? Quite a specific strategy when it comes to recruitment. Will it work if they continue on that basis in the championship? Players from Premier League academies, possibly, but with very little appear, uh, excuse me, experience. And based on what you've seen so far, to be honest, it could work. But I'd still want to see some proven EFL players, if not, if they've got the money, Premier League quality, who maybe need a game coming to Southampton. Yeah, I mean, of course, if you're in the Premier League, it gives you the... Um the strength to hold on to players when you are developing real good players or you sell them on a great profit, which has done a brilliant job in the past. And I'm not so sure about, you know, bringing in players with uh, AFL experience, really, because we, we've seen that what's happened at Sunderland, all the young talent that they're bringing in the club, some not even any experience uh, at, at any sort of senior level. Uh, and yet they're still being able to, to come in and, and produce uh, without that experience. So... Again, it's all about the recruitment, it's about the talent, it's about the, the right players, the right time, the right club. And if they can do that, of course, they're going to get uh, back in the Premier League. But again, it's not going to be easy for them because of the, the, the ins and outs that might come up in the next couple of weeks. Right, let's quickly talk about Leeds United before we move on. Um, because Daniel Farker, their manager, was kind of asked about the pressure on him after their draw at West Brom. I have to say it was probably their best performance of the season. Very unfortunate, if you like, that West Brom's goal came off the arm of Brandon Thomas Asante, but ultimately Leeds didn't score the goals and didn't create the chances to have put that game to bed. Um, but ultimately, I think the fans can be encouraged. Ultimately, though, there is a bit of a mess behind the scenes to deal with as well. There were uh, numerous clauses for players after relegation with them wanting to leave. We've seen the likes of Jack Harrison, Tyler Adams leave the club. Now, it's next up, Willie Nonto, Luis Sinistera. You know, will their transfer issues rumble on? Willie Nonto actually submitted a transfer request just an hour before kickoff. 
and the Leeds fans really let him know about their feelings with a chant I, I couldn't possibly repeat, David. But, you know, that is what they want sorted out at Leeds United, at Elland Road right now. But they also want results. How big a mess is it? Yeah, I think we can see the the results of what's happening on the pitch. It's off the pitch stuff that's uh, it's giving a lot of concern at the moment. I think if the, those two players you mentioned go, that takes it to 14 players from the uh, match day squads from last season. That's yeah, a huge, huge hole. And I think that if they want to look to <clears throat> to Burnley perhaps last season when they lost a lot of players. And there was a real rebuild over the summer with uh, with Vincent Company, and he managed to turn it around and get all his ideas into the squad, and be able to to hit the ground running. That's a real rarity, I think. I think if Leeds are going to do that, they're going to need um, firstly maybe need a few more players in, but of course not starting this season, um, no win so far. It just, yeah, it, it all everything around the club now is sort of becoming a little bit toxic. You know, like I said, the, the, the chance from the fans. Um, they want to see their, their club back in the big time again and this is not the right way to go about it, is it? Next up, a trip to Ipswich Town as well, which won't be easy. We're going to talk about them next because they are absolutely flying at the top of the table. You're listening to EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport, made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Take the advantage here. Lovely ball sticks in the box. Hurst makes it 2 0. Great finish from Hurst. QPR now Ipswich Sound 1. Ipswich looking like they'll go back to the summit of the championship this afternoon. Connor Chaplin doing it again for the Tractor Boys. Being free of how we play, which they're all right behind now, um, then I know they'll, they'll stick with us and we'll have a good year. Welcome back to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. I'm your host, Hugh Wisencroft. Today, alongside the former Sunderland goalkeeping coach, David Priest. David, up next, we have to talk about Ipswich Town. I was very fortunate to be uh, at Loftus Road at the weekend, which was actually a fantastic atmosphere. You know, the Tractor Boys fans come down. They made their noise. They get a huge section of Loftus Road. But actually, there was a lot of positivity despite the result from the QPR fans towards their team and the young boy Sinclair Armstrong who will come on to. But I think ultimately the most important thing here is the scoreline. It was a 1-0 win in a very close game, but made it three wins from three for the Tractor Boys. And they were second, of course, in League One last season. They are the first side since 2011 to be promoted into the championship to win their opening three games. Connor Chaplin with the winning goal. Um, are they the surprise side in the championship right now for you? Yeah, you, you could possibly say that, but what's, um, what Ipswich did, and certainly since uh, Keevan's come into the to the club, they built a side that was capable of playing in the championship. You know, the last two seasons, I think it was 18 months since he's been in, maybe a little bit longer. They had quality in that squad. They had quality, they had experience. They were underperforming massively. Uh, and what he's done, he's, he's just given them a, a real structure, a real clear way of playing and see exactly how they how they want to play. And like I said, the quality that they had for a League One club was incredible. And that's what's helped them in the easy transition into into going up. And they've used, obviously, they used the, the momentum from, from promotion last season. But um, surprise, I, I, I'm not too surprised at all, like I said, uh, because of the quality that they do possess. Yeah, I spoke to Kieran McKenna after the game. I asked him the same thing. Are you surprised? He said, kind of, no. You know, we go about our business in a particular way. I also asked him, you know, your supporters are getting very, very excited about what might be come May and the possibility of of promotion. And I, I asked him, you know, is that a target that you sit internally? Is it discussed? He actually said that, they never discussed it last season either, the, the possibility of, of promotion. It is never a conversation inside the squad. Was he just winding me up a little bit? Do, you know, do the players have to get a little bit excited, particularly last season when it was really, really within their hands and, and this year the way they've started too? Yeah, I think you can see the way that he speaks, his manner. He's, he's somebody that I wouldn't imagine gets too excited um, in a dressing room either way, whether things are going for him or not. So that sort of kind of level-headedness is only going to help his, his team, especially when you're in a high-pressure situation, you're going for promotion. And he's probably right. He probably just tries to keep the focus on one game at a time and not get ahead of himself. And, of course, it, it, 
it's easier said than done sometimes because emotions take over. But he, like I said, it doesn't seem that tight and it's only going to help him. And, and on top of that, you know, you talk about the expectations from the fans and they do have the spending power, you know. They, they had that quality in the squad. They had that experience. But then, sort of like towards the end of last season, or sort of last January, then they brought in George Hurst on loan. They brought in Nathan Broadhead just to really bolster that attack and make sure that they got promotion. And that's what they've done again this season. They've just added that quality. Jack Taylor from Peterborough did really well for Peterborough last season. Mm. Uh, Kevin Slicker from Man City, young, really good young goalkeeper. And, and, and George Hurst in the permanent. So it's, like I said, they're just topping up what they already had there last season. Let's hear then from Kieran McKenna after that 1-0 win away at Queen's Park Rangers. Third successive league win. He isn't getting carried away with the rising expectations around the team. We finished last season really well. Um, but we know how hard we're having to work um, each week and each day in training. And we know how hard the step is. So we're, we're going to stay humble about that. And, um, you know, we have to keep working really hard to come out on the right side of the margins because, you know, we're not going to um, be as dominant every week as we were last year. And we're going to have to fight really hard to, you know, compete every week and perform and try and get some points. So we need to focus on that 100%, nothing else. Of course, for the fans, it's nice for them to enjoy, you know, starting some good results. But for us, it's just... We're sticking to our process and, and trying to get better and yeah internally we know how hard it's been and we know how hard it's going to be so we're certainly not getting carried away the sun was out at loftus road on saturday so clearly everyone wanted to be in their t-shirt and shorts out on the pitch doing their interviews didn't think about the lawnmowers or the wind obviously but that was kieran mckenna uh, the ipswich boss who who is very impressive we have to say david and I, I didn't want to, I, you know, I say I didn't want to. I, I wanted to ask Kieran McKenna about, you know, the possibility of bigger clubs coming in for him in the future. But I didn't feel like it's fair to Ipswich Town or their fans because they are a very big football club, as we know. They do have money and they are playing very, very well at this point in time. I think, though, you know, between us, that at some point this season, a Premier League club will inquire about Kieran McKenna. What would you do if you were him? It is a tough one for him, simply because it's Ipswich, they are a big club. They have the spending power, so he'll always be backed as well. But it's always going to be a little bit of a gamble. I think that for him to move on, it would have to be a real big, big chance for him at a real big club. You know, He's already been first-team coach, assistant manager at Manchester United. He knows the responsibilities of what uh, what it takes to to be in that position at a real big club, at a world-renowned club, and I think that um, he's done the hard yards, hasn't he? You know, he's you know from finishing playing early and going to Spurs and in Manchester United, working himself up gradually to where he is now, and he he does have like an authority of a manager. Anyway, it's it's almost like he's it's, it's it comes naturally to him. And I think that um, yeah, for for him to move now and move away from what he's doing at it, Ipswich, it'd have to be a real big offer, I think. Um, I do want to talk about Queen's Park Rangers and Gareth Ainsworth as well. Um, he was incredibly positive after that game. He, he actually sent a message out to the rest of the league. He said, I know what's been said about Queen's Park Rangers and that we're going to be in a relegation dogfight and could go down. Anyone that's watched my side so far will have to change how they're thinking about Queen's Park Rangers. You know, he was definitely shoulders back, chest out, despite the fact that they were beaten 1-0 at home because the game could have gone in their favour for sure. I mean, Sinclair Armstrong, who was a handful all day, the youngster up front, uh, hit both posts with an incredible shot from a tight angle that went across the line uh, and hit the post on the other side and came back out. But he was also a real threat all game. And, of course, as he matures, I think will certainly deliver in this league. Actually, to be honest, Ainsworth said afterwards that he believes he will go right to the top. But have we changed our view about where Queen's Park Rangers might be? Because they, they do look highly competitive. Do you know, Hugh, it was the, it was the first time I'd seen uh, QPR this season. And, of course, you know, all I had before I watched it, all I had to judge the moment was what I saw last year, and it wasn't great. Mm. I watched that game from Saturday, and you're right, they probably they should have won the game. The, the chances that they had, I think it was um, Osman Kaikai uh, missing a guilt-edged chance from just a yard out. Um, it was Elias Chair who hit the, uh, the... It was almost like a Naeem-type goal against yeah. David Seaman, where uh, Vaclav uh, Labke, he made a remarkable save to recover, tip the ball over the bar. 
and, and, and on top of that, like you said, they, they've they hit the post and had real chances to, to wrap up the game. And, and I saw the interview with Gareth after the game, and I, and I think that he's um, he's got every right to, to be positive and, and hopeful that performances like that, more performances like that, will lead to wins. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think a lot of the Loftus Road crowd were, you know, pretty happy applauding him as he went around the stadium. At the end, you would have thought that Queen's Park Rangers had won the game. And I think the mood is something that he is so keen to harness because he thinks he, he's all about man management. You know, he's spoken to me before and he said that, you know, I get it, you know, in terms of the tactics, everyone wants to be Pep Guardiola. But actually, I think, you know, what is kind of the key thing in, in my management is being able to get the most out of the players as people, you know, being able to bond with them. And his point to me was, that is going to take me time. That would take anyone time. And people saw what I did at Wickham and thought it's going to be instantly replicated at Queen's Park Rangers. But that took me a decade, you know. And I think if you give him time at Queen's Park Rangers, there's a chance, you know, that some of these players will really gravitate towards him as a personality, as a character. Um, and I was kind of uplifted by that. You know, basically everyone went home happy despite the result of Ipswich winning the yeah. game uh, at Loftus Road at the weekend. It's very rare that you go to a football ground that one set of supporters isn't very, very unhappy if there's been a, a defeat. Um, but there you go. Okay, let's listen to anything else in the championship for us to discuss, David, before we move on. I thought Joe Bellingham scoring his first two senior goals, obviously previously of Birmingham City, now at Sunderland, at just 17 years old, um, was a special moment for the weekend and probably one that we need to remember for when he goes on to win multiple Champions Leagues and England International and all that stuff because he does look like he's got real ability. Tony Mowbray saying that he's a joy to work with as well. Yeah, I think in that way that he, he just replicates his brother, he, um, you know, from everything that I've heard about him, you know, from, from their background, their family, um, and the way that they operate, um, they're just pure class. And I think that, again, like we talked about with Keane McKenna, the way that he applies himself and the way he comes over, both Julian and Joe, they just come across as real top professionals. They want to learn, they want to listen, but boy, they've both got talents. And, and, and Joe looks like he's... He could have a lot of pressure on him, you know, because of what Jude's done and people ex the expectations of, of what might come with that. But he's handled it really well for 17-year-olds, you know, starting in, in the championship. It, you know, Birmingham is a big club, but Sunderland just he's stepped up to another level. Um, things haven't gone perfectly so far at Sunderland this season with the first win only coming Saturday. But, like I said, those goals are just settling down give him even more confidence. And I think he's got a real bright future ahead of him. Is he going to be another dude? Well, only time will tell, but he's handling the pressure really well at the moment. Okay, right. David Priest with us on EFL All Access. We'll be moving uh, into League One and Two very, very shortly. But you're listening to EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport. Made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. It's 18 plus, begambleaware.org. On DAB Plus, online, by the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Hello again, you're listening to Talk Sport 2. This is EFL All Access. David Priest, the former Sunderland goalkeeping coach, is alongside me, Hugh Wisencroft, as we move uh, into League One. And David, we spoke to Sean Maloney last week, and, you know, every time I do so, I'm kind of encouraged that he's going to move on to being a, an exceptional coach in the future. Um, they thumped Bolton this weekend, four goals to nil. Um, Wigan starting the season, bottom of the table, of course, minus eight points. They are now 19th with two points after just four games. So massive in terms of taking that weight off their shoulders. They're unbeaten as well. Three wins and a draw. Um, what do you make of Wigan so far and the potential for them to keep climbing the table? I think they were, they were one of the sides that, that came up um, two seasons, sort of season before last way. They didn't really add to the squad. They had a, a, a League One team in the Championship. Um, they've managed to keep many of those players together. And um, it, because it, we talk about other clubs, about what's going on, on off-field, um, behind the scenes, and, and how it you know, might affect them, it's certainly not affecting Bolton. And, and that's, that points deduction, it could have really, again, it could have been a real sort of like, uh, sort of ball and chain around the neck and, and wear them down and, it just hasn't done that. And you're right about about Sean. He's um, 
you know, he's learned from his time at Hibs. You know, there was a lot of ex- big expectations there. The, the club backed him a lot in the beginning and cut him short when they could see things weren't happening. But he just needed time. And you've got to give him lots more credit simply because of what's happened since he's took over and all the things that have been going on. Dealing with relegation, players not being, staff not being paid, points deductions, yet he's just producing on the pitch for them. And um, yeah, a delight for him as well. Gotta say, you know, when you look at the stats of the game, um, maybe Bolton will feel like this is the harshest four-nil defeat they've ever had because um, they had five shots on target from eleven shots in all. Um, but even though Wigan had twenty shots, they only had four on target. They all went into the back of the net. Obviously, uh, Charlie White scoring his fifth goal in four games. Bolton had sixty-three percent possession in the game as well. So the four-nil scoreline maybe looks a little bit flattering on Wigan, although they made a blistering start. Um, do, you, do you see this as a bit of a wake-up call for Bolton at all? It could be a little bit, but I think the way that Ian Nevitt's team set up, and certainly this Bolton side, he's very expansive, plays a great style of football, great brand, um, but also what that does, if you're too, very expansive, it leaves you open to, to counter-attacks. And like I said, you know, the clinical nature of Wigan, where they, they've been able to um, take their chances because Bolton's expansive nature, it just, it'll, it'll give teams opportunities at times when things aren't clicking for them. Of course, just like uh, Russell Martin at, at Southampton, they try and keep the ball, they try and suffocate teams with the ball. But like I said, when they're expansive and when they're opened up, it also leaves themselves open to, to what's happened on Saturday. But it can happen now and again when you've got teams that are playing like this. Uh, the style of football, but I don't think it, it's going to be sort of a, it's like setting a trend of, of defeats. They'll get it right again next week and they'll keep going. And what he is, you, you might call it stubborn, but he sticks to his principles. Yeah. That's what that's what's got him up, up and around the playoffs uh, last season. And I'm sure that this year they'll be stronger for it and they'll be pushing again. Yeah, I'm sure they will be. Okay, but let's talk about the top of the table because what a turnaround for Cambridge United. They only stayed in League One on the final day of last season. They came 20th. Now, in a short space of time, obviously, they are top of the table. Um, It's just been a kind of remarkable start, really. How important has it been for them that they kept Mark Bonner uh, as their manager? Oh, huge. Uh, Another bit from behind the scenes that... Even when there was a lot of doubts, maybe some of the fans maybe calling for him uh, or the, the expectation that his job would be on the line, instead of putting pressure on him to say, you know, you've got three games or, um, or given, uh, given the sort of an insecurity of that his job might be in the balance, they didn't. They backed him, they kept him in place and instead of replacing him with somebody, they were looking to try and bring in somebody who maybe could take the load off him or maybe a more experienced coach. Uh, just to add a, a, something a little bit extra. But certainly from that experience last year and the confidence that the club have put in him because he's done so well at the club and they have a lot of faith in him that it's been rewarded. They've got a style of play that's uh, that, that a way of playing that uh, is effective for them and effective for the players that they've got. And, and they're, they're an awful team playing it just because they give you so many problems. And um, uh, for, from an opposition's perspective, but for, for Mark Bonner and Cambridge, yeah, they start the season. Just give them something to build on, and they're not. You know, you don't want to be struggling all the way through the season. Um, they they steered up handsome last last year, and this will give them a, a great chance of doing the same again because that has to be their aim. They're not the only side either who are raising eyebrows at this point in time because it's been a great start for Liam Manning's Oxford United who actually beat many people's favourites for promotion this weekend. Barnsley 3-1 at Oakwell. They've won their last three games now and that included a a 2-1 victory at Derby. Similar story to Cambridge. 19th last season. They now sit fourth in the table. Are they another side who are showing us the unpredictability of the EFL? Yeah, you, you could say that, but also that they are a strong side that were underperforming massively last season under Carl Robinson. And I think probably what everyone saw then and everyone felt that the club was that it, it just wanted its course with, with Carl and um, maybe his, his messages weren't getting over in the same way they were in previous seasons. Uh, and, and Liam coming in with a, a fresh input, um, you know, really sort of recruiting really well in the summer, you know, people like uh, Ruben Rodriguez coming in from, from Notts County, 
um, James Beadle on loan to, to come and go from Brighton. To add to that quality that they've already had, like Sir Brannigan. It, it is, um, like I said, again, it's no surprise that they're up there, but because only because of the, the way that they played last season, the quality was there, they were just massively underperforming. Yeah, two sides who uh, could be motoring on very, very nicely and give a much better, if you like, more positive experience to their fans throughout the course of the season. Good start uh, for both Oxford and Cambridge. Um, finally in League One, Portsmouth versus Cheltenham Town this weekend. A supporter was brought on to run the line in the goalless uh, draw. Not one, but two assistant referees ended up being injured. And that, led, that led to an appeal for qualified officials within Fratton Park. Um, it was incredible, really. Um, strange scenes, too. The fourth official, Stephen Brown, took over in the first half, replaced himself early in the second half with a supporter. Uh, local league referee Julian Browning from the South Sand came to the rescue for the final 35 minutes, plus an additional 21 minutes of stoppage time. Fresh from those duties, um, the Portsmouth fan Julian spoke to TalkSport Breakfast about the experience. There was a bit of peer pressure involved. Um, <laughs> I, I, was, I wasn't too keen to stand up and make myself known to begin with, but everyone sat around me, just started shouting and pointing down to the benches. We were sat above the dugouts and said, he'll do it, he'll do it. And... Yeah, I gave in eventually and, yeah, let's just say I was nervous. As, well, nervous is probably an understatement. That was the line that the first assistant did oh. his on. Um, and, um, and in fact, Andy, the reason I was doing that line was because um, uh, Cheltenham manager, Wade Elliott, insisted and after, after deciding it was OK that I did Portsmouth's back four just because... It was less contentious, I think. I was also told by some of the players I was the fittest official they'd had, they'd seen that season as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. A way that it, of course, had to give the go-ahead to a Portsmouth fan to be on the line. Um, and he actually said, I think they should all have a curry and four pints before coming on because it seemed to do the trick. He was probably the best official we've had this year. David, what do you make of it? You know, I'm so glad that the game finished nil-nil, and there was no sort of controversial decision made that um, you know, would have brought a, would have highlighted what had happened. It's it's almost like the it's the football version of is there a doctor in the house? Isn't it? You're putting all the tannoy, and it seems in this day and age, how professional the game is now that we're still having to rely on that sometimes for for somebody to volunteer to, to officiate. But yeah, it could have went really badly wrong. I thought. So glad that everyone came through unscathed. Mm, Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. But I also think it was a lovely reminder of the importance of officials in our game. We wouldn't have it without them. So let's treat them better, everyone, because we want more people uh, to be running a line in the EFL or above uh, in many, many, many more years to come. Okay, you're listening to EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport. Made to challenge, made to debate, made to play it. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. You're listening to EFL All Access on TalkSport. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside David Priest. Not long to go until the Women's World Cup final show review with Faye Carruthers. That's coming up very, very shortly. But we need to bounce along into League Two. And we're all talking about the story of the weekend. And once again, you know, it's a Hollywood story, isn't it? It comes out of Wrexham. They drew at the racecourse ground five all with Swindon this weekend. It was a 10-goal thriller. Wrexham were 4-1 down at one point. They drew 5-all thanks to Elliot Lee's goal in the 96th minute. Charlie Austin on the score sheet for Swindon in the game spoke to TalkSport Breakfast earlier. He felt Wrexham would have won the game had it gone on any longer. As soon as they made it 5-4, you're like, oh, no. Do you know what the mad thing is? This is going to sound so stupid now, but you two have both played the game, yeah? You know when it comes and the ref like puts the time up and he's like, yeah, the six minutes added on. Yeah. This matters. It sounds like the way the minutes are added on now. You can't. You know when the ball goes out for a throw in, you can't just take that extra twenty seconds, or the ball goes off for a goal kick. Yeah, no, the goalie can't take that extra twenty seconds. But there's going to be so many goals. I don't know if, what are we in week three, four. I don't yeah. know how many. But there's going to be so many goals throughout the season that scored after the ninety minute mark. There will be plenty, and there already have been plenty as well. Um, just on the comeback in this game from Wrexham. 
is this the kind of thing that we're, we're going to start to see from Wrexham as their players become more accustomed to being in the Football League? Of course, many of them have played in the Football League already. But just as a team moulded together at this level, it seems week by week, and despite the fact they were 4-1 down, the potential to score goals is coming with this team. I think that anybody who's writing the scripts for this new Wrexham documentary must be factoring in these scores because mm. the scores are Hollywood as well. <laughs> you know, you think about uh, Americans don't like soccer because they, you know there's not enough goals in the game, uh, not much, uh, not uh, much entertainment, for example, as basketball. But they're providing it now for them, Wrexham, and anybody watching will be entertained. And I feel a little bit sorry for Michael Flynn and all this because, I mean, his team's 4-1 up at, at half-time. You just think to yourself, get through the next 10, 15 minutes and we'll have it wrapped up. And they just couldn't do it and they get back to 4-3. Uh, to and even when they go to 5-3, they know that it's not done because it's Wrexham and the goals that they've been scoring lately as well. Uh, and, yeah, it, it just be, must be so deflating for him. And on the other side, well, yeah, you're right, it shows the, the character and the, and the quality that Wrexham have got in their, in their side, but... I'm sure Phil Parkinson will probably settle for a couple of 1-0 wins after this. <laughs> you get the feeling there's going to be plenty of goals in games involving Wrexham. Three home matches, 24 goals the fans have seen at the race course. So certainly getting their money's worth uh, so far. But we heard the news a little bit earlier on this morning, David, that uh, Wrexham's goalkeeper, Ben Foster, who's had a great career, of course, former Manchester United and West Brom goalkeepers, amongst a host of other clubs, announces that he is retiring with immediate effect for the second time. Well, here's what Ben had to say on why he made that decision. I think the timing's right. I feel um, sometimes you've just got to be honest with yourself, brutally honest with yourself, and just admit that you can't really do what you used to do. And it's a shame, but I think being 40 years old, it's kind of expected as well. Um, I feel like there's probably been about four or five goals already this season that I should be saving. You know, it's weird because goals are going in and I'm thinking... You should have saved that. Why haven't? How haven't you saved that? And I think that's the reason why I'm retiring. I know I just, I just know I can't do what I used to do, and it, like I say, it's a shame. But that's the way it goes. Ben said that he told manager Phil Parkinson of his decision uh, after the game on Saturday. Um, they've already conceded 13 goals this season. David, you're a goalkeeper yourself. Um, do you do you understand where Ben Foster is coming from? And do you understand the timing of this decision? He, he, he feels that with the club having time to possibly bring in another goalkeeper, it was right that he told them nice, I say nice and early, with a week or so left in the transfer window, which I guess is better than nothing. Yeah, it is. And I'm sure this was an, a much easier decision than it was actually to, to come back into football after his break. Um, I know that, that that wouldn't have been an easy decision for him because he would have had all these questions about, you know, Almost a, a year out, he came towards the end of the season, hadn't trained a lot. He'd have had these questions saying, well, can I still do it? Will it, that time not affect me? Will I still be the same? And he obviously wasn't. And, and even though that you, you can't buy what happened to him last season, you know, the way that he came into the club, they get promotion. Um, and then this season, it, it's the, the kind of the reality just hits you. And it... it it is about being brutally honest with yourself, but it's so much easier to be brutally honest with yourself than to carry on just having those doubts and thinking that you're letting people down. And and, and I think that's what that's what's really sort of done for him in this situation. The fact that he took that break from finishing at Watford, then not training seriously until the end of last season. And it's so difficult to get going again. And like I said, I think he's probably made the right decision for himself and for the team as well. Right, let's move on uh, to the side right at the top of the table. Four wins from four. Actually, Gillingham become the first side in Football League history to win their first four games of the league season by the same scoreline. They went to Crawley Town, won by a goal to nil. You've got to say, Dom Telford had a great chance to to stop that from happening, missing from the penalty spot. But there you go, Gillingham, four wins from four so far. They also beat Southampton in the Carabao Cup first round. They must be incredibly high on confidence right now. Yeah, of course, and especially after the struggles that they've had, sort of coming down from League One and and then struggling again last season. You know, they, they obviously be delighted with the way that they start this season. And if, again, it, you know, I think you know we've talked about does this team surprise you this season? This was the team that surprised me so far because of the way they've they've started. But uh, certainly Neil Harris has um, 
he's somebody who will never give up and for them to stick by him and, and stick with him yeah he deserves the, the the results he's getting so far Right, one side hot on Gillingham's heels, MK Dons. Uh, they're led, of course, by Graham Alexander. The Dons were relegated on the final day of last season to League Two. They've started this campaign with three wins from a possible four, including a 100th-minute winner to seal a 3-2 comeback victory over Colchester this weekend. Second in the table, looking to bounce back into League One at the first time of asking, well, the head coach, Graham Alexander, only taking the reins at the club this summer has made a big impression already. I caught up with him earlier today. Three victories, uh, one defeat to start the season, but it has been very positive for you. Has your start to the campaign taken you by surprise at all? Um, not surprise. Um, we we were a bit unsure about what to expect. Obviously, we'd uh, taken over a team or a club who'd been relegated, but we'd brought in some new players. So a lot of players left from last season. We just wanted to try and get a team together that we um, felt could gel and could win games. Uh, pre-season results weren't fantastic, but there was spells in those games where the performances were good. Um, so we went into the first game of Wrexham knowing what we were capable of. Um, but we would also seen a, a side which we had to improve. So... I think the start we made at Wrexham was was a, a great start. You know, we were tuning up after ten minutes, and um, I think that triggered uh, the players' thoughts and the, the rest of the performance into a positive start. And obviously, we we continued that into the other games, except the, the Crawley game, which we got beat. But um, I think the first game, especially, gave us a lot of confidence and the players a lot of confidence that we we were we were going in the right direction. Confidence is, is a key word. When you came into the club, were there sort of key factors, key aims that you were targeting to try and turn around the mood of the squad after after that relegation? Um, yeah, look, it's, you know, I've, I've been there as a, as a player in a relegation team, and there, uh, you know, and, and been there in the following season, and so I was aware of sort of things that you had to be aware of, how, how you had to change. Um, and as a mindset was the biggest thing. Um, and there's different ways of doing that. And, you, and it comes in your meetings, your training sessions, uh, your, your communication with the players, messages you're putting out to the media and the support. So it's it's not just one aspect you have to you have to cover and and um and sort of uh, make the change. It's in every little sort of uh, aspect you can do do it with. So uh, analysis meetings, gym sessions, the training. Um, and, and we have to constantly um sort of reinforce a message that it was a fresh start for everybody. And uh, that only happens with with actions. You know, you can say that at the start, but unless players see you behave that way and and, and act that way and, uh, and stick to that, then they, their trust is built and from trust is, is confidence. I think the confidence hit when we when we, uh, we we won that first game, especially. I think, um, and and you try and build on any positive that happens. So we, we took it from, from pre-season games as well. Because, like I said, there were spells in that where we we um, we did do well. So we tried to concentrate on them and just extend those those uh, sort of those moments. And um, so it's it, and it's still ongoing. There's there's still games. You know, we saw it um, on Tuesday when we got beat by Crawley, where um, we didn't start particularly well, um, and we went behind. We come back, which was great, but then we went behind again, lost the game. And on Saturday we went one 0 up. And conceded two goals in two minutes, which has happened previous in in pre-season, and you could see there was a, there was an issue there. Um, so it's not completely gone away. So there's still a lot of work to to do and to be done. Um, but we, you know we've got to be pleased with three wins from four in the, in, the, in the league because it, ultimately we're trying to change, improve a lot of things. But we we have to win while we're doing it. What what kind of feeling do you sense amongst the group right now in terms of where they are mentally, physically too? When I say physically, maybe I mean quality, but where is this group right now? I think they're in a good spot. I think um, we, we've won three games in different fashions, uh, different ways, which I think good teams do. I think they find different ways to win difficult games. Um, I think the, 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 the fitness levels have, have been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Going into the season, you know, even where you see when we scored the, the two goals on Saturday, you know, the 88th minute and then the 90 plus, sorry, the 100th minute, 90 plus 10, um, which is great credit to the players. But I, I do think that the physical output comes from the mentality first and foremost. And I think that the players, certainly the ones that 
came in in the summer of seeing it as an opportunity to join a, an ambitious club that wants to do good things. And I think the ones that were here from last year see it as an opportunity to to start fresh and um, and show people that they're good players. You know, it's you know just because a, a team is unsuccessful doesn't um, doesn't mean that you are a bad individual. There's a lot of things that go into a winning team and, and a losing team. So that fresh start for everybody, uh, I, I think I'm seeing it from players that they're 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 in a di- they're showing a different demeanour from they were after the first week or so. Uh, different uh, body language, um, different uh, sort of uh, vocabulary when they're talking, and I, I think these are all signs that we're we're making inroads into building their self-esteem again. They're, their respect for themselves and their teammates and um, and, and their confidence and uh, but like I say it's it's, a, it's it's just a start there's still a lot of work to be done but we're we're delighted with the progress the players have made because um, it's it's always difficult after a relegation so interesting to you talk about building the players up and a fresh start what about what about building yourself up what about you for many people you did very good jobs at Motherwell at Salford too and were pretty cruelly dismissed what have you learned from those experiences that you can you can use moving forward with your career? Um, not sure, really. <laughs> it's like because yeah, I, do, I, I did feel I've done by in the in the previous uh, couple of clubs. You know, when we'd we'd obviously we'd create success. You know, with promotions and, and taking the clubs into Europe and so forth. But you know, and it was part of my decision to to leave Motherwell. So I, I can't put that down to, solely to somebody else's decision. It was. It was mine as well. So, um, but I just believe I just believe um, this. This, like, like I said about the players, a fresh start, fresh opportunity, and, and that's how I see it myself. You know, I think um, you got to leave the past behind. You got to learn from it. You got to um, take what you can uh, as an experience. But you know, learning from what you could do better. What What was in your control? What? How could you handle things differently? How could you have improved situations or yourself or the players, the team? Um, and and try and take it forward, and I've always done that, you know. So I feel I've been harshly dealt with, uh, as football is. It's a harsh sport and and a difficult sport to be successful in. But we have created success at the, the, the previous four clubs we've we've managed myself and Chris Lucchetti, and um, and we know we we'll, we got the ability to do it again. But it's not just us, and uh, so as much as the I think the the players need a. A fresh start. I think me coming in after, you know, not not working for maybe a, a calendar year, um, you know, I'm I'm full of enthusiasm and excitement about it, which I which I tend to keep with me anyway because I love the game, I love my job, and um, but certainly after being out for a year, and and part of that was through choice, part of it through, was in the end um, through uh, you know looking for a job to go back into. Um, but I've come in and uh, seen the opportunity, really. I think we've got um, the club is, has been on a downer um, for, for the last 12 months, but there's a great opportunity to work with good players, with good people within the club, including the owner and the sporting director and the staff that are already there. So I'm just enjoying my, my day-to-day job. It's, it might not look like that sometimes to players when I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm losing it a bit here and there, but that, that's part of me competing and, and just... You know, every every day I go in there, I'm I'm looking forward to it because I know I've got good people around me, and that, that's a that's a great place to be. But I think the challenge is still there, and it's it's still you know I don't take my eye off how how difficult that is going to be. Um, but I'm confident that we've got the right people to do it. What's the realistic target then for the club this season, and for you to build more success at MK Dons? Yeah, look, we we we're we're in a group of clubs that want to be at the top end of the table, you know, and and I think with League Two, and I think last season was a, a perfect sort of uh, example of that, where you know the Lane Orange, Stevenage, and, and Carlisle, especially, had, had, had had really difficult seasons season before, but then won promotion, and I think that that's what uh, League Two, especially, I think um, it, it's really open, you know, and you don't know who you're gonna. You know, um, compete against us in the, the level of quality and who's going to be there at the end of the season. So, for us, we we want to be at the top end of the, uh, the table. We want to be um, trying to win every single game we compete for. We know that's not going to be the reality, but we have to have the will and the desire and the, the ambition to do that. And uh, and we see where we are at the end of the season. But you know, I'm 
I'm clear when I spoke to the chairman um, you know, uh, before taking the job that um, he saw Milton Keynes Dons as a club that should be competing at a higher level. But you know, to to do that, you have to do a lot of things right. You have to make a lot of uh, good decisions, get a lot of good people together, and and drive it forward. So you know, we have a brilliant stadium, brilliant facilities, and everything. But we need to understand that the, the stadium won't win us a point this season. You know, I've said it uh, previous in pre-season. I think um, it's about what we do. It's in, and uh, it's about what the people do within it. And um, that's where our success lies. And, and finally, Graham, got to ask every manager I speak to this time of year, any targets on the horizon? You are looking to add a few more names? Uh, yeah, yeah, we are. Um, I, I, I've stated that. I think we're, we've got, a, I, I feel, a really strong team when we look at our starting 11, 12, players that we can we we looking at right now then I think we're as good as anybody in this division um, I just think there's a little lack of strength in depth and, and I'm not the only one that thinks that I think that the chairman and, and, and Liam Sweeney the sporting director understand that as well and see that so we're we're trying exceptionally hard but we're we're trying to show the patience and discipline to get the right players in that will improve the team um, you know, it's easy to just sign any player because there's a lot of players available. But we we need to make sure that we're trying to improve on what we have, and give the the players the support because they've done brilliantly in the first four games. But you know, we we've been limited on that, the substitution we've been able to make in, in those particular moments, and certainly with the the added injury time that's on now. You know, you're playing nearly one and a half mm-hmm. games every week. So um, I, th- I think uh, if we can get the two or three players in that we're sort of trying to do at the moment, then we'll be in a, a really healthy position. But um, there's a lot of competitors for those players. Well, that was the MK Don's head coach, Graham Alexander. Really, really interesting interview. And a, a manager, I think, David, who has maybe been slightly unfairly treated at a couple of jobs that he's had, as I mentioned, at Motherwell and Salford. What kind of character is he? What will he bring to this MK Don's team? It'll bring stability. You know, they've had this reputation for, for playing great football under Russ Martin, um, Liam Manning taking that on. But the past year, the, the, the squad's just been weakened a little bit um, from the, the previous seasons. Uh, they've, they've had players taken from them and they just haven't really replaced them. And they have, they've had some experience in there, but Josh McEachern, he's, uh, he's gone. I think he got to, to Oxford with Liam Manning. And so... It, what he does give them now, Graham Alexander, is a, a solidity, something that's um, he's reliable. They'll have a certain way of playing that um, that he, he's known for. And like you said, yeah, he's, he's been held, uh, harshly dealt with in the last couple of uh, jobs. Certainly, even Motherwell, you know, losing his job sort of like so early in the season. I think it was even before the first game. Um, and he'll be looking to to get back in. He'll have a bit between his teeth after those two last jobs, and he'll really want to. to to be successful in Dons and start his game so far, you know, he can do that. Okay, David Priest, been a real pleasure to be with you on EFL All Access. Great company as always. And a reminder, you can listen to us uh, each and every Monday from 6pm here on TalkSport 2. If you miss any of our shows, you can listen back on the TalkSport app. And we're also, of course, available as a podcast. Just download it from your podcast provider. Search EFL All Access. 